Charlie Taylor got the poise Got a podcast for you to enjoy Words deploy, I destroy In the words of public enemies, Chuck D Bring the dice! From the Fifth Fellow Podcast Network, I am Charlie Taylor, and this is What's Good. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you've had a great week. Now, just 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 calm down. That was that was lit. I know it was. I know it was fire. I've got these bars, <laughs> and the only reason I'm doing it, well, for two reasons. One, and the main reason is because there is nobody in my home, which means I am going to be flaming today i'm gonna be energetic i don't care i'm gonna be full radio charlie it doesn't matter it doesn't matter i'm gonna i might get loud i might get loud and you're gonna have to deal with that so (laughs) this is how it's gonna be and the second reason is because well you'll you'll get it from the music segment but um yeah hope you've all had a great week ladies and gentlemen um it's been a relatively slower, slower week um, for me. Uh, so uh, compared to the past couple of weeks, but it's all good regardless. Uh, got some stuff done, as as you as you guys know by now. Get these stuff, get the stuff done. Um, went to Lincoln, see my boy David. Uh, it's cold up there, believe it or not. If you if you uh, if you live up north, uh, you you know what's up. And if you live down south, you you know what's up even more because you know for a fact. If you live down south, you know for a fact that up north is colder by a dramatic plate uh, by a dramatic uh, uh, at a dramatic point. There you go, whatever. But yeah, it's cold as fuck. But uh, yeah, it was, it was good vibes. I was only there for a few days. I was a bit. Uh, I wish I wish I was there for longer. But apart from that, I, I, well, the only reason I couldn't stay longer is because I had to go to London for the next uh, on Saturday. Uh, I went to see, I went to go to Beat Horizon in Brixton O2 Academy. Uh, saw people like the Far Side for the first time. Saw Raekwon again. Saw him obviously as part of a Wu Tang got to rap last year. Uh, got to see uh, who else did I see. I saw Goldie for the first time, and that's probably, to be honest, that's probably like a bucket list uh, thing in terms of music consumption. I think seeing Goldie live is just a genuine just event that you ha- that everyone has to experience at some point in their lives, especially if you're a drum and bass fan like I used to be. So, thirteen-year-old Charlie was getting gas to that point. Trust me on that. Uh, who else did I see? Sampa the Great for the first time. Saw her live, and she was amazing. Absolutely amazing. Uh, the vibes were on point. Uh, who else did I see? Uh, da, 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 da. I saw a. D- <laughs> okay, so this is a very specific. Um, this is a very very specific thing that not many people are going to understand. But there was a dude that was there, and uh, he was clashing uh, with uh, with uh, other people. Um, just, just like kind of an interval uh, between between sets, uh, between the main sets, I guess. And this dude, me and my, I went with my boy Tyler, and uh, we also went to the same high school. And uh, for people that went to the same high school as us, they know this guy. Um, I forget his name already, <laughs> but um, he was there at one assembly. Uh, I don't think I was actually there. I think I was ill that day, but people told me about it. Uh, there was this guy that came through. 
and basically he uh, came to basically do a rap um, about, uh, I think it was either drugs or just violence in general uh, among youths. And um, yeah, for some reason we remember it. Uh, don't know, don't know why it's a very odd memory to have. But uh, as soon as he came on the stage, uh, just my boy Tyler just clocked it. It was like, oh my god, it's him! I was like, how do you know that? <laughs> but uh, he knew, and uh, so yeah, shout out, shout, shout to him. Uh, what did I see? Um, I, I, I don't know why I've, I've, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, Jerry the Damager saw him, saw him uh, briefly. Didn't see him fully. Uh, I missed out on Rodney P uh, fully. That's how it goes when there's uh, multiple uh, quote unquote rooms. I don't want to say rooms because they weren't they weren't rooms. There was the main you know there was the main stage for you know if you've been to O2 Brixton Academy you know what the main stage is. And then there's the foyer, which they consider as the second uh, second uh, stage, so to speak. And I was just like, is it though? Is it is it though? But they 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 made it happen. I guess they they made it happen somehow. And they got the job done, so uh, respect to them regardless. Uh, I, th- I thought it would have been much better in somewhere like the Roundhouse, but there you go, I can't can't complain. But yeah, uh, I missed out on people like uh, Ronnie Size, that was a bit unfortunate. I just had, I just felt like uh, leaving after Goldie, to be to be honest, I, feel, I just felt like that was a, a good point to leave. And I also saw people like uh, Ferro Monch uh, as well, which was uh, good, considering that they flew him in uh, with day's notice, apparently, from New York. Uh, he went instead of uh, Yasin Bey, most deaf, uh, because he had a respiratory issue, apparently. Um, so he's going to be at Manchester, beat Horizon. Excuse me. And uh, apparently, and maybe at Bristol, I think. Uh, but, yeah, not at London, which is, uh, which is a bit peak. But, hey, that's just how the cookie crumbles, I guess. But anyway, let's get to the show. We have a full slate. Uh, we have one for each, uh, we have one life, one music, one film and TV, one sport, and uh, I'm happy about that, uh, but yeah, it's been a good week, hope you, once again, don't know why I keep saying this, hope you all, ha- all, all had a good week, uh, but anyway, let's get into the show, Full minutes before we begin, we have the email, we have the Twitter, we have the IG, we have the Facebook, and we also have the Discord, the Fifth Element Discord, please join if you want to feel the babes, and uh, apart from that, Let's get into it, let the beat drop, and let's get into the show. In a week where 2019 was the hot, second hottest year on record, I think the first hottest year was 2016, so take, it, take that information how you will, uh, Greenpeace and Extinction Rebellion joined neo-Nazis. <laughs> On the UK counter-terrorism list. Um, yeah. Again, again I, I think I mentioned this uh, in a similar fashion uh, last week. And, I'm, uh, and I still have the same... I still have the same thoughts. Um, yeah. Extinction Rebellion is not as bad as neo-Nazis. Let's, uh, can we Can we all agree on that? Can, can we Can we all agree on that? I think, I think we can all agree on that. And Greenpeace has been going on for years. Uh, for like decades, I think. Like, so... What's Greenpeace? Is Greenpeace up their games re- recently and like you know just shut down malls? You know what? <laughs> Loaded up EMPs and shut down whole whole cities just to save electricity. What did they do? That's that sounds like terrorism to me in a way. But you know, I don't think I don't think they're terrorists. Just that's just me. Real real hot take. I know, but um, yeah, I, I don't really understand that. But I I hope I I kind of assume that people in that uh, in that realm. And a part of Extinction Rebellion, or sympathise with uh, stuff like Extinction Rebellion, 
I think they're just going to take that and move along with it and maybe make it part of their part of their mission, you know, in terms of just like, you know, counterculturing, I guess. You know, they call us they call us terrorists, you know, and then um <laughs> just I guess take the name and uh, go with it. Why not? Uh, a new study finds that 47 is the most miserable age for a person. So um I've got I've got I've got a while between then so uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh US Senate begins second round of uh, uh Donald Trump's impeachment and uh it's been, I think we're only a day in and uh, I watched a little bit little bit of it yesterday and uh I feel like it's just going to be uh yeah it's it's the Senate has the power. The Republican Senate has the power and with that with that said what 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 they they they're not going to change their tune now. You know, they, they've locked themselves in. They, they've they made their beds and they have to sleep in it. And I don't think they've... And I think they're completely fine with sleeping in it, by the way. It's not something they regret. Um, until, you know, they have to... They, they're doing a book tour for their oral biographies. And they go, I completely regret um, serving Donald Trump in that way. Uh, but, you know, the damage has been done in that fashion. And uh, Saudi Arabia hacked Jeff Bezos. Um, I don't know who's more powerful, Saudi Arabia or Jeff Bezos. That, that sounds like a very interesting fight, uh, money-wise. But um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to do. With that information. I mean, Saudi Arabia can hack Jeff Bezos. Then, what's the hope for any of us? Um, but let's get into let's get into some topics. Um, where should we begin? Uh, well, you know what? Let's begin with life. Let's begin with life. And um, since he since the exit is coming. Uh, T minus as of this recording, nine days until we leave the EU. Um, I ha- I found something that I found pretty interesting, and I thought that I thought I should share it. Um, just not 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 because you know I found fa- I find all of this in the past three nearly four years completely futile and literally a long term shooting of the foot, but. Yeah, I, well, you know what? I think that is the point. I think that is the point I'm making. So let's get into this. Uh, I found this off uh, Bloomberg. Uh, so this is a little economics piece, little research piece um, that I found. So 170 billion. The title is 170 billion dollars and counting the cost of the exit for the UK. Uh, this is done by Fergal O'Brien uh, off of Bloomberg. Let's get into it. I just re- I just realised I sound super nasally right now. I have a bit of a cold, but anyway. Let's get- Let's just let's just get into it. Let's just run right through it. Uh, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson uh, wants to quote unleash Britain's potential. Uh, first, the economy has to catch up with catch back up with the rest of the world. Research by Bloomberg Economics estimates that the economic cost of the exit has already hit one hundred thirty billion pounds, one hundred seventy dollars, one hundred seventy billion dollars, with a further seventy billion pounds set to be added by the end of this year. That's based on the damage caused by the UK untethering it from its group of seven peers over the past three years. And uh, I highly suggest you read this, by the way, because there's plenty of uh, graphs here and uh, just you know plenty of visual stuff that really just brings it all home. So I uh, highly urge you guys read it. Link is in the description below, as always. Uh, while growth globally has also called in recent years, the analysis by Bloomberg Economics shows that the UK has still lagged. There is a strong historic correlation between the UK and G7 countries, but there are but they have been diverging since the vote to leave the EU. With the British economy now three percent smaller than it could have been uh, could have been had the relationship had uh, been maintained. 
The UK has finally set to leave the European Union at the end of this month after Johnson's decisive election victory, but the uncertainty since the 2016 referendum has taken a toll. Business investment in particular has been uh, held back, and annualised economic growth has halved from 1%, uh, halved to, halved to 1% from 2%. Dan Hansen, UK economic, uh, economist for Bloomberg Economics, puts the total cost of the exit by the end of 2020 at £200 billion as uncertainty continues to take a toll on companies and consumers. While Johnson's deal with the EU late last year removed the imminent threat of a no-deal split, he still has to negotiate new trading arrangements. That creates another potential cliff edge at the end of the year. The government... The government remains upbeat ahead of the budget in March, the first major opportunity to spell out the economic plans of the new Conservative majority government. Chancellor Exchequer Sajid Javid, Sajid Javid has uh, pr- promised a decade of renewal. Tax cuts and increased borrowing for investment are all on his agenda. Despite this, none of the gr- none of the ground lost since 2016 is likely to be made up, according to Hansen. Quote. Uh, looking beyond 2020, we forecast, forecast the growth spur in this year will be a one-off. The economy will get a shot in the arm, but the cyclical lift that it provides won't last. Uh, he said, as the UK comes to terms with new trading part, new trading partnership with the EU and grapples with the productivity challenge that has hindered growth since the financial crisis, the annual cost of the exit is likely to keep increasing. <sighs> so... Um, let me get to some of these graphs, actually. Um, so, basically, the, the there's one here called um, uh, collateral damage, and uh, they start off. Uh, they, it basically, it's going from year by year from 2016 to now, uh, or, or the end of uh, the the estimated end of 2020, and basically is just stacked them on pot on top of each other. So, the first year 2016, 451 million, right? Then next year, twenty one point seven six six billion. On top of that, forty seven two four four billion. On top of that, twenty nineteen sixty three, and by the end of this year, will be seventy. Total of two hundred three point one eight eight billion by the end of twenty twenty. So, I feel like uh, when it comes to you know, I'm not an economist, believe it or not. <laughs> I'm not an economist, believe it or not. Um, this is something that is kind of plain to see um, if you rely on these kind, if you rely on these kind of research finding, of which I am one of those people. I, you know, I don't really find a reason not to rely on this kind of information. It seems pretty, uh, it seems pretty concrete, uh, number wise. So, but in terms of that, and in terms of just the whole thing about economy. Um, it's very invisible, you know, unless the, the only visible signs you can see in your day-to-day life is when the economy completely goes down the toilet, and, you know, regardless of, regardless of how far we go down the shitter, we're still going to be a first world country regardless, you know, it's it's still, we're still going to be, you know, quote-unquote okay, you know, as a country, but, looking at this is just depressing because all of these all of these potential billions that we have um allegedly or you know concretely however you want to see the numbers um that we've just thrown away could have been used you know it's it's like when you um 
it's like a. I was having this. Uh, I was having this conversation with a mate the other day. Um, we were talking about like when you spend stuff, uh, you know, years down the line, and then you see that thing that you had or that you bought, and you realize that you never use it anymore, and you're just like, man, I wish I had that money back. Yeah. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's just uh, it just seems a bit. It, it seems like that. It seems like that when you you know when you buy a bike for yourself or something like that. You know you, you just you just make a big purchase for yourself, and then ten years later you're just never using it again, and it's completely lost value. And you're just like, was that worth the was that worth the purchase for me? Did I get the emotional? Uh, did I get the emotional? Um, uh, what's the word? Um, I guess turnover, you know, <laughs> uh, that um, uh, that I got from buying this particular product, and I feel the exact same way with the exit. I feel I've felt that way since day one. That you know we're going to spend all this money, um, you know, trying to cut our foot off literally, and you know now that we now that we're going to finally cut our foot off for the January thirty first. I'm I'm I feel like I'm not alone when I when I say that you know I kind of wish we didn't cut our foot off you know I kind I kind of wish that so you know regardless if you even if you don't believe in these numbers by the way you have to admit that there's something here you know we didn't we we haven't broken even in this case you know this shit is costing money regardless all right so let's say we didn't do this you know let's say we didn't do any of this and we just continued our lives as we should have in this parallel universe right in the very near parallel universe which i which i uh which i wish i wish i wish i wish i was in um you know what would we be spending that 200 billion on i'm, I'm asking a legit question take a think take it take a thought Take a thought for a second of just what we could have used that money for. I can name a few things. And I have named these few things over the past year. Um, but I won't repeat myself. I highly suggest you guys go back uh, through the catalogue of what's good. And just uh, indulge yourself. In- indulge yourself. Because, um, or, 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 you know, you can just look around and see, hmm, that, that. I think that deserves attention. Hmm, that's been on the news recently. I think that deserves attention. Like everything apart from the exit, which I feel is, you know, it's a a thought I've been having, right? And I'm going to finish on this, right? Because I think I've made my point. But I'll finish on this, right? There comes a time when, um, you know, you look about, and um you 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 are you, you you tend to ask yourself um what's is 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 it a sense of um where's where's this sense of patriotism coming from you know and you know i know the answer to this question but i just wanted to pose it to you guys you know um where where do you think these where do you think all this patriotism comes from yeah, or, or okay, so-called patriotism because you know, again, we're shooting ourselves in the foot. If you want to call this patriotism, you, you can if you want, but it's bollocks to be honest. But what what do you think this all comes from? Where do you think this all stems from? All this, uh, all this angst towards other countries, all this, um, you know, of how they labelled Brussels as like a fucking 
as like the fucking Sith or some shit. You know what I mean? It's just weird. It's, it, I find it just weird because, funny enough, I haven't I haven't heard the term Brussels as a as a uh, as a noun in a while. Do you, you remember when they did that? When 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 the Leaf lot were doing that, they were just going like, "Oh, Brussels is coming for us. Brussels is doing this. Brussels is doing that." Who the fuck is Brussels? It's a place in Belgium. What does that have to do with anything? What does that have to do with the price of milk? Be specific. Be specific. And you know, obviously I'm obviously I'm harking back here and there's no point of me harking back, but I just wanted to make the point. But I just wanted to ask you, where did you where do you think this shit comes from? Uh where do you think it all stems from? Uh I actually saw there was a there was a tweet going around the other day of like a uh, of like a uh, exit party MEP going um uh, now that we leave, now that we're leaving the EU, and uh, we, we'll have no need to be an ME to be MEPs anymore, of which there are a few in uh, in the exit party after the you know last year's uh, European Parliament vote. Um, who who is going to keep the EU in check? That's a great fucking question. Who is going to keep the EU in check? Huh. I th- I I feel like there's a problem here. Um. I feel like there's a malfunctioning here. Um, maybe we shouldn't have left the EU because now the EU get to make decisions on certain things and we won't have a say. But you know what, guys? You know what? We're getting our country back. <laughs> Woo! We're getting our country back. We're getting our fucking country back, ladies and gentlemen. We're getting our fucking country back. And that's what matters. Oh my days! We are headed into a train wreck, and I am just—you know what? Yeah, have you uh, guys uh, go watch um, go watch uh, Doctor Strangelove, the uh, Do- the Stanley Kubrick, or no? You know what? Don't even watch it. Just see the one scene that I'm thinking of in my head, where like the dude's on the bomb and the bomb's going down, and he's just going, ah, ha, 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 and he's just laughing hysterically. Go see that scene, cause that is exactly how I'm doing this, uh, this, this, that's how, exactly how I'm responding to all of this exit shit, the bomb is dropping, and I'm just riding that shit till the wheels fall off, I'm having a fucking whale of a time, absolutely amazing, absolutely amazing. So let's move on to music. And uh, more recently, in recent times, uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has announced its uh, 2020 inductees, numerous inductees, uh, featuring people like uh, uh, Notorious B.I.G. and Whitney Houston. But uh, they they seem to be and they, they seem to be making some you know omissions, as a lot of Hall of Fame places tend to do for a lot of. Uh, uh, for for a lot of people, for whatever reason, um, so I found this uh, article talking about uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and uh, I found it very interesting. And I thought I'd give it a read. So uh, this is by Keith Murphy of the Undefeated. Uh, it's called uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has a woman and LL Cool J problem. <laughs> so, and uh, that's why that's why I did LL Cool J. Uh, Rock the bells at the start of the show. It's just just a little hark back. Uh, that was. I'm still gassed. I thought, I thought that shit up. That took me like five minutes to the sync up. I'm just trying to think of rhymes. Uh, rhyming with noise. I was just... 
I was trying so hard, ladies and gentlemen. I was trying so hard. My brain was working. But anyway, let's get to this. Uh, ever since the Rockwell Hall of Fame began inducting artists uh, January 23rd, 1986, the museum has been a centre of a polarising debate of what exactly fits into the confines of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I've always had this uh, question, by the way. Like, how is Big E and Woody Houston Hall Rock and Roll? Like, what's the point now? You just, you're just a music hall of fame at this point. You might, you might as well just call yourself the music hall of fame. But anyway. Uh, so when the news inductees were announced Wednesday, the news was met with a sincere fan jubilance and trolling over the induction of Wynn Houston and Christopher, the notorious B.I.G. Wallace. With that said, let's be clear, the notorious B.I.G. deserves a seat at the table. The rotund spit open lanes for a diverse range of embassies, from Lil' Kim to Jay-Z, and Jay-Z to 50 Cent and even Drake. Despite a less than robust catalogue, Wallace stands as one of the hip-hop's most revered lyricists and storytellers. The real question isn't whether the late Lutoris B.I.G. belongs in the same room as past inductees Chuck Berry, Elvis Presley, Johnny Cash, Lil Richard, The Beatles or The Rolling Stones, or whether the Brooklyn, New York rapper measures up to Jimi Hendrix, Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, Queen, The Clash, Guns N' Roses, Nirvana, The Cure, Rush, Bon Jovi and Stevie Nicks. It's whether Notorious B.I.G. Or, or the equally deserving Tupac Shakur, who was inducted in the uh, Hall of Fame 2017, should have gotten in before other pioneer for other pioneering uh, hip-hop greats, such as LL Cool J. The answer is no if we are going by early influence and chronology. Not only is the rapper turned actor the first franchise eyes of Def Jam Records, arguably the most important hip-hop label of all time, he remains the template for the modern solo rapper. With such, with such million-selling plus works as Radio, Bigger and Deaf and Mama Said Knock You Out, Mr. Smith and Phenomenon, Ladies Love Cool James single-handedly led the way for hip-hop's longevity. There isn't a successful MC alive who hasn't borrowed from his lengthy notebook of two-fisted rhymes, Radio, Rock the Bells, I'm Bad, Jack the Ripper, Jingdom Baby, I Shot Ya, and the ladies aimed radio joints such as I Need Love, Around the Way Girl, Doing It, Hey Lover, Love You Better. Hello Cool J wrote the hilarious gem Can You Rock It Like This for Run DMC, was the headliner on the legendary arena tours with Public Enemy and at times outsold the Beastie Boys, all peers of the 52-year-old who are members of the hall. When an establishment such as the Kendi Center honours, which has welcomed uh, cultural giants such as Fred Astaire, Marian Anderson, Lucille Ball, Sammy Davis Jr., James Brown, Steven Spielberg and Earth, Wind and Fire since 1978, had good had good good sense to induct LL Cool J in 2017 before the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Something is off. It's a long road to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Artists in the performer category are eligible for induction 25 years after release of their first record. They are they are then chosen with a combination of support from the 1,000 or so hall voters, which include artists, interesting executive, music writers, and online fan participation. You got fans doing this shit? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Can't get fans in this. Can't get fans in this when it comes to this shit. You can't, mate. You can't. You just can't. It's just some dumb shit will come through. Look, go look at the NBA All Star vote. Just, just go do it. Uh, the Hall has made it a point to expand its roster beyond rock, as Muddy Waters, Ray Charles, James Brown, Ruth Brown, Big Mama Thornton, Smokey, Smokey Robinson, The Temptations, Supremes, Marvin Gaye, Reefer Franklin, Curtis Mayfield, and Al Green have all been celebrated. The list of members also includes Stevie Wonder, Sly and the Family Stone, Michael Jackson, Jackson 5, Prince, Grandmaster Flash and Furious 5, Run DMC, Public Enemy Janet Jackson, and even jazz trumpeter Miles Davis. The issue here, uh, the issue isn't genre mixing. It's that the hall has a woman problem and an obvious blind spot when it comes to, uh, when it comes to acts that go beyond the, the baby boomer trappings. <laughs> 
the NPR touched on the Hall's lacklustre member of female artists, an issue that has been long too conspicuous to ignore. According to a report, women make up of 8% of its inductees. What? Okay, let's stop right there. 8%, you know. Wow, that's a, that's a depressing number. Shouldn't be 8%, guys. Come on, this shouldn't be 8%. Uh, I'm not saying it should be 50%, but it shouldn't be 8%. Jesus Christ. Uh, for Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, voter Amy Linden, it's a problem that needs to be rectified. Quote, uh, rectified, quote, Shaka Khan has been on the ballot uh, solo as Shaka Khan and Rufus. And as Shaka Khan and Rufus, there is no Whitney without Shaka. I'm at a loss, quote unquote, said the veteran music and cultural critic and co-host of the podcast. I'm going to let you finish. Uh, it gets even more disheartening. Tina Turner, celebrated university as the queen of rock and roll, has yet to be inducted into the hall as a solo artist. She was, however, inducted in 1991 as one half of Ike and Tina Turner. The same Ike Turner whose physical abuse of the form was detailed in an Oscar-nominated 1993 biopic, What's Love's Got to Do With It? Tina Turner would go on to sell more than 200 million records worldwide and fill up stadiums across the globe. Uh, from Diane Warwick, and also have a great uh, West End show from what I hear. Uh, from Diane Warwick, Carol King, and solo Diana Ross, to the aforementioned Khan and Pat Bet- Benatar, Sade, and hip hop change agents, Silk and Pepper, who rank, uh, ranks as one of the highest selling female rap acts of all time with 50 million albums sold. Women continue to be shot at the hall in large numbers. The undervaluing of female artistry makes some of the criticism of Houston more alarming. Wow. Well, you cannot get any heavier rock than songs like I Will Always Love You or How Would I Know. They they will always appear in my rock compilations with the like of, likes of Sabbath, Sabbath, Priest, The Cure, The Priest, The Crew. I think they meant The Cure, not what's The, what's the Crew. I haven't heard The Crew. Uh, Van Halen, Zeppelin, etc. A fan posted on Twitter of his tongue-in-cheek bewilderment over Houston being included. Yeah, he meant The Cure. So if it's via tweet, then definitely is spelt wrong. Know your grammar, people. Know your spelling. Uh, yes, it could be argued that the towering vocalist spent much of her prime being promoted by music industry honcho Clive Davis as America's favourite pop sweetheart. There was nothing particularly edgy about Houston's music, but Houston's voice was peerless during a record-breaking run which, in which she racked up more than 170 million albums and single sales. She will also she will finally take her place next to the Hall of Fame members Aretha Franklin, Nina Simone, Donna Summers and Mavis Staples. And if pop provocateur Madonna and guilty pleasure ABBA are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, it's impossible to deny Houston. As I said in 2016, the detractors are still living in a largely white, male and dated idea of what constitutes as rock and roll. The roots of the dwindling genre has always been have always been born out of the black experience that gave birth to the revered Delta bluesman Robert Johnson and soaring gospel visionary Mahalia Jackson. The question is, we are we rock and roll? I can't I can even say that. Rock and roll, 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 roll. The question is, are we rock and roll? And I say, you're goddamn right, rock and roll. Rock and roll is not an instrument. It's not even a style of music. It's a spirit that's been going on since the blues, jazz, bebop, soul, rock and roll, R&B, heavy metal, punk, rock, and yes, hip-hop. Ice Cube proclaimed during NWA's controversial 2016 induction at Brooklyn's Barclays Center. But as long as the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame continues to obsess over the usual suspects, it will always be viewed and tired and, and viewed as tired and antiquated. Genre-blurring rock fans will gripe over the untapped pool of cooler, interesting acts that continue to be left out in the cold, such as Motorhead, Judas Priest, Kraftwerk, Kate Bush, Devo, or Devo, uh, Bad Brains, Duran Duran, Soundgarden, and Rage Against the Machine. Nah, come on, Rage Against the Machine is be there. Uh, followers of rhythm and blues, soul, and funk will cringe at the thought of an institution that struggles to go beyond the Motown and stacks. 
Uh, Roberta Flack, the meters, LaBelle, Pointer Sisters, Ohio players, NAE standouts, Luther Vandross, Zap, and New Edition, let them in. And Hip Hop Heads will finally take the hall seriously once it dispenses with the rap for dummies approach and include the cross section of rhyme acts that includes Ice-T, Eric B and Rakim, MC Light, Tribal Quest, De La Soul, Nas, Outkast, Bone Thugs and Harmony, Missy Elliott and the Wu-Tang Clan. Make it happen. So, I mean, this is, um, I'm, 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 honestly, I don't really care, you know, that much about the Rock and Roll of Fame. Just want to say that outright. Don't really care that much. Um, and, you know, in terms of hip-hop, I also, I think it's cool if it's recognised, and I think the fact that Ice Cube sees rock and roll as that, as how he explained it in the quote, I find it very interesting, um, and I think kind of applicable, and in some ways he is very right, you know, if you go look at the history of what rock and roll was, and where it came from, and the roots of it, trust me guys, trust me, rock and roll is super whitewashed, super whitewashed, right? And in that case, I'm completely down for people like Whitney Houston and all the, and everyone not that's not been in that's not in the fucking hall at the moment, such as LL Cool J. And uh, on the you know on the minor point of LL Cool J, the fact that he you know isn't in yet and people you know before him you know are there is a bit odd. You know, if you're gonna you have to go by some kind of chronological ordering. I feel like that's a, that should be the case in any Hall of Fame, you know. If if you don't you don't you don't have uh, you don't have people in the in the sixties, uh, you don't have baseball players in the sixties getting uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame at the moment, do you? No, they should have that should have happened in you guessed it the sixties and seventies. You know that should have happened at their time. Uh, they should come. They should come uh, as no surprise. There there should be some chronological ordering here. So the fact that they've, for some reason, omitted LL Cool J is just confusing. If you've put in people like Biggie, then what's wrong with LL Cool J? You know, it's, uh, it doesn't, doesn't really make sense. But that's just me. If I was like, you know, if I had a Hall of Fame, you know, I'd begin. I'd begin with Grandmaster Flash, Furious Five, African Bambata, and DJ Cool Herc. That's what I'd be saying if, if I was doing a hip hop. If I was doing a hip hop uh, Hall of Fame, and you know, there is a hip hop Hall of Fame. Believe it or not, there is. There is a hip hop Hall of Fame. There's going to be a Universal Hip Hop Museum, and you know, I highly assume they're going to be doing something of this fashion. Probably not, a, you know, a Hall of Fame, but they're going to do the museum and have it chronologically ordered. You're going to start at the beginning of hip hop. You're not going to start at 2010, are you? You know what I mean? It doesn't make sense. But anyway, um, I don't really, yeah, like I said, I don't really care about the Hall of Fame in that fashion. Um, it doesn't really, you know, it doesn't really hit me in the heart like it like uh, it does for some people and you know rock and roll for, and here's another thing nobody oh nobody under the age of 60 is a fucking rock and roll fan these days come on stop it stop 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 you're you're not a rock and roll fan nobody's a rock and roll fan these days don't piss me off Come on, come on, come on, stop, stop that, stop that. You know, the concept of rock and roll, and the fact that it has rock and roll, you know, and not just rock, says that it's a little bit older, does it not? Says it's a little bit older than rock, so if you're going to put, and again, I think Ice Cube put it really, really succinctly, and uh, actually changed my mind on all of this, right, because, you know, I don't really, I never really cared if the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame put 
hip-hop artists or soul artists in there. But in this case, in the way that Ice Cube put it, I feel like, well, shit, they should all be black, to be honest. <laughs> they should all be, they should all, there should be way more women. 8%. Wow, 8%, that's a crazy number. But, um, yeah, I feel like I feel like it's a genuine uh, thing that needs to be rectified. And, uh, you know, and this all comes into the, um, and this I think this all pulls into my very um, conservative look at uh, what hip-hop is. Um, you know, I've, I, you guys know I have a very rigid um, way of looking at hip-hop and uh, very, not purist, but half purist in a way, uh, way of looking at, like, way of looking at hip-hop. And I feel like the same thought should be applied to stuff like rock and roll. Um, and in the way Ice Cube put it, and the fact that it encapsulates a lot of things, it encapsulates black art in a very genuine way, in a very historical way, and also in a way that most people don't know. When you think of rock and roll, what do you guys think of? You guys think of Elvis Presley. The people that should you should be thinking of uh, Chuck Berry. But you instead think of Elvis Presley. Why is that? You know why. So, that's kind of it. It's just another case of... Old white men having the... having the uh, uh, Throwing their iron fist about. But slowly but surely, people are getting in. Um, and uh, if you consider that a good thing... Good. If you consider that about damn time... Even better. So we move on to film and TV, and uh, I kind of wanted to revisit the topic that I've already uh, talked about in some form of fashion. So uh, a few a few months ago, um, I read a piece uh, via the Huffington Post about uh, Tyler Perry and just the you know just the iffiness that I and I assume a lot of other people have as it pertains to Tyler Perry. Um, I think the whole thing about him, um, and again, is the reason why I'm revisiting this in a way, uh, partly because he recently dropped a film, and it's been getting mixed reviews, and I've been very intrigued to, uh, in- intrigued about it, but also because I just don't know where to stand, and maybe the, the way to stand is on both sides here, because some people consider Tyler Perry a negative, some people consider Tyler Perry a positive, um, I think the point that I'm gradually getting more and more is that can't we do both? Can't we celebrate and criticize? Um, and I think that should be, the, and I think that will be the case uh, for most of most of the time when I think about Tyler Perry. I th- and also I think there are a lot more negatives than uh, people like to point out. I would say that as well because um, everyone knows the positives. Everyone knows the positives. He's you know he puts on. Uh, black artists, he, uh, you know, he puts on black movies, African-American movies, he has his own fucking studio, for Christ's sake, like, you, we know the positives, but I don't think people really recognise the, the amount of negatives that Tyler Perry, especially via his, what his movies are, you know, just on the face, and when you get deeper into them, how many, how problematic it really is, um, art-wise, but anyway. So I wanted to get into this uh, article right here. This is uh, uh, by Cassie DeCosta uh, De of uh, Yahoo. Uh, Tyler Perry built a movie imp- empire by selling out women. 
And uh, I feel like this is one of the negatives that needs to be talked about, I think. So uh, let's get, let's just get into this, right? Um, you don't have to see the films. You can, just, you can grasp it. You, you can grasp it, trust me. Uh, it's hard to write about Tyler Perry's latest film, A Fall From Grace, uh, because it's not a film that's intended for thoughtful viewing. It's meant to be devoured uncritically and compulsively. This may go for any of his films, though on occasion... The acting is good enough to overcome the atrocities like Angela Bass's performance in Being the Browns, Kiki Palmer and Medea's Family Reunion, or I Can Do Bad All By Myself's uh, Hope Allayed Wilson. Unlike the, uh, those earlier Perry films, A Fall From Grace is a full-on melodrama with no comic relief to give talented actors like Crystal Fox and Felicia Richard uh, room to breathe under the strain of a pedestrian and offensive screenplay. Oh, Jesus. Uh, the film is on one level about elder abuse and on the other about the apparent naivete of older women who are desperate to be loved even when it all seems too good to be true. Perry fuses these two themes because the latter victim blaming is an easy way to moralise the film's absurd sequence of events which are so- all solved by a rookie public defender who, no kidding, detests people who have committed crime. <laughs> oh. Oh, I, de- I detest people. Um, that's a great word. This public defender, Jasmine Bryant, played by Brisha Webb, is married to a cop, Matthew Law, who, at the beginning of the film, tries and fails to save an older woman who is threatening to jump off the roof of the boarding house nursing home she lives in. Uh, later, Jasmine finds herself assigned to a simple plea deal case. An older woman named, you guessed it, Grace, allegedly <laughs> murdered by a younger husband, uh, allegedly murdered by her, by her much younger husband, Shannon, and uh, has confessed to police. Uh, Jasmine doesn't shine in court, so her boss, Perry, in an unconvincing wig and beard, assigns the ca- her case uh, with the expe- expectation that Jasmine will have Grace promptly sign a plea deal. This arrangement works for Jasmine. Her desire to be a public defender is waning since, since she believes all her clients are murderers, liars and thieves. Unworthy of her commitment, she would prefer to be en- en- enveloped in the goodness of her domestic life with her policeman hubby. Perry, who recently bragged about writing all of his uh, recent film and TV scripts alone, yeah, I found that mad fascinating. That just opened up a whole lot of doors in my thinking. Jesus Christ, maybe you should. It, I, I think I feel like he has a Jake Cole syndrome. You know what Jake Cole syndrome is, right? Just get some features, mate. Just just get some features. You will not be looked down upon for having features. Okay, it's 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 it's, it's okay. You can have features. Um. <laughs> Seems unaware of or just doesn't care how unusual it would be for a public defender to be married to a police officer, as well as how twisted it is for someone who has willingly taken on a relatively low salary social justice job uh, after incurring student debt to, ha- to hate the people she is meant to serve. None of these themes are explored. We are meant to accept them as typical of an innocent, attractive young black woman married to a hot young cop. But luckily for Miss Grace, Jasmine believes that even though Grace hit her philandering and abusive second husband over the head with a baseball bat several times and then pushed his unconscious body down the basement steps, she didn't actually kill him. Otherwise, it seems the film would be happy to see Grace to die a slow, incarcerated death. Let's put this thorn aside for a moment since Perry does not see his audience as sophisticated enough to be sceptical of the requirement that black people be innocent uh, in order for their lives to be valued. What's mostly, what's most obviously offensive about this film and Perry's oeuvre, 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 is it oeuvre? I forgot to say it. Uh, in general, is how passive, gullible, and greedy uh, he renders his black women characters and how he punishes them for so-called sins they dare to commit. Um, throughout the film, uh, Grace laments not only her gullibility in the face of uh, of a new love after divorce, 
but lustful feelings for a much younger man who promised to cure her loneliness. Jesus, that sounds depressing. For this audacity of hope, Perry hands down the harshest sentence. <laughs> uh, not a spoiler because it's all in the trailer. After marrying her, Shannon steals money from the bank Grace manages using her password, then mortgages the home she already owns by forging her signature. Once Grace finds out Shannon's swindled her, he lets her know that the state's marriage laws means he can do whatever he wants with the assets they technically share. And Grace finds out, with the help of her friend Sarah, uh, that a civil suit would take too long and be too expensive to bring forth. After being found out, Shannon basks in shamelessness, luxury, by smoking doobies in bed, and bringing a woman home while Grace is there. So she kills the bastard. <laughs> oh god, this is absolutely amazing, amazing fucking uh, article. And there's a few paragraphs where uh, it gets into like, um, uh, I guess, uh, uh, minor similarities into other and um, other films he does. Um, so I Can Do All Battle by myself, sees Taraji B. Henson's April, go from selfish party girl to mother and wife, her badness, quote-unquote, which includes drinking and sleeping around, is explained in the film as due to the sexual abuse she, suff- she suffered at the hands of her stepfather. Wow. Um, uh, it says, uh, But in Perry's dramas, there is no Medea, hunky basketball scout, or kindly Latina labourer to hand down wisdom and watch the kids until the stubborn black lady comes to her senses enough to get married. Instead, the women must fall hard. Their desires to be loved, have sex and take risks, leave them incarcerated with HIV. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, but Perry cl- uh, Perry claims that this is, a, uh, this is the kind of salt and sap his audience loves. Audiences love uh, that they want to see Bible verses trans- translated into the most base and conservative interpersonal dramas starring all black cast uh, because these are stories that ring true to them. In fact, Perry, while offering lucrative work to supremely talented black actors who face racist discrimination throughout the rest of the industry, actually does a major disservice to his employees. He sells out his leading ladies for cold, hard cash. And without the input of actual black women writers and producers who may have the insight to tell more dignified and honest, honest stories, go check out Chi Chinonye uh, Chukwu, uh, Clemency, comes to mind as the kind of black women-helmed project that, sh- uh, that should get the f- platform a form a form from Grace has, but in the end, with or without a writer's room, Perry is in the game to make money off the non-cinephilic uh, black Americans looking for entertainment featuring characters who resemble the people they know. By using this company to reproduce preju- prejudices, primarily about black women his audiences may or may not already hold, Perry does not simply capitalise, pr- oh that's a word, pro- Proselytizes. Proselytizes. Whoa, that's a word. I need to look that up later. Uh, in the name of representation, quote unquote, a new holy grail in the mostly empty resp- response to racism in the film industry. He lifts the worst ideas and impulses into plain view. A fall from grace, indeed. Yeah, so this is kind of just, um, this kind of confirms, uh, and, and, uh, proselytize, by the way, is to induce someone to convert one's faith. Wow, that's great. That's a great fucking word. Never going to use it, but it's a great word. Um, yeah, so this is kind of the main thing that I can... I think you can really see... You don't even have to watch um, Tyler Perry's films to actually like, to gain a gate... To, to gauge uh, this kind of attitude towards um, how he portrays his characters, you know? You know as a writer, you're, you're taught to, um, you know, put your character through hell... Um, especially if it's obviously a drama, you know, just 
don't give him a reprieve, you know, force him to, you know, knock down every barrier, so to speak, you know, you're, you're told to do that, you're told to, you know, basically create an arc for them, you know, just give them, give them a challenge, you know, create your character and give them a challenge so they can rise above it, because, you know, at the end of the day, we all love an underdog, and we all love uh, our protagonist winning, um, especially if they're obviously likable. But Perry takes a really takes this um this uh this attitude and way of thinking as a writer and um just turn and just gives it steroids and adds, you know, some theology to it. And for me personally, you know, I haven't seen a lot of Tyler Perry films, but I've seen enough to gauge an opinion on it. And um it's clear even, honestly, go watch, just go watch several Tyler Perry movie trailers, right? Especially the ones mentioned, excuse me, especially the ones uh, mentioned. Uh, you know, Fall From Grace, um, what's the, what's the one with, um, Acrimony, with Taraji P. Henson. Yeah, go look at stuff like that. You, 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 you gather the, there's some similarities there, that, like, he, he just puts black women through the fucking grinder, not even in a good way, you know, uh, I think Clemency's a, a fucking amazing uh, comparison to give, um, I really want to see that film, uh, it's been around for, it's been around for the past year, um, going around festivals, and um, I, I'll be very surprised if I manage to see it in the next month or so, um, I highly, I highly doubt it's going to be shown in my fucking local Odeon, because they've just, they had Just Mercy on for like a couple of days, like, they're not going to do it, so, yeah, I don't know when I'm going to see Clemency, but I really hope I get to see Clemency one day, um, and also Just Mercy, by the way, and also Waves, but, you know, just just saying, but yeah, it's, it's fine putting, you know, female characters through the grinder, right, it's, it's completely fine putting putting black women through the grinder, you know, that's the point of storytelling, you know, of, of well, some storytelling, I guess, you know, to, to give your character a challenge, like I said, but... It, it it just makes it there's a degrading sense of it, and there's also a you know a middle finger to the audience and they don't even see it. It's like hiding in plain sight. It's just like I'm gonna throw this um really poor writing at you, and you're just gonna eat it up because I'm the black beacon of African American cinema. You know, it's it's very it, there's a very cynical way of how he does things. Just creatively, you know, business-wise, you can you can hail him as much as you like. I completely understand. From a business perspective, Tyler Perry's a fucking G. But creatively, ah, oh, mate, again, J. Cole Syndrome. Get some features, bruv. Just get some female writers, get some female producers, and trust me, trust me, I know from experience that when you when you when you have a when you have a story and it has uh, female protagonists, and you get a woman to read it, or help write it with you, boy, does that shit improve. Boy, 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 does that shit improve. Trust me, the dimensions get so much deeper, and it gets so much better. Trust me. Trust me. And, or, or go, go watch Clemency. Go watch Clemency. It's a great fucking example. Just go see Clemency, and you'll completely understand. And also, you know, stuff like um, I think uh, what's the what's the oh, what's the Nigerian one, Lionheart, I think it is. Yeah, you know, stuff like that. Or uh, Rafiki, 
That's a good shout as well. Go see Rafiki. Amazing film. So, you know, Tyler Perry needs to just creatively, there's a problem there. And it needs to be criticised, um, in my opinion. So, uh, yeah, I, I think I've, I think I'm. This is probably the last time I'm going to talk about Tyler Perry for a while. But I'm finally glad that I can, you know, formulate an opinion on him. I think business-wise, he's obviously OP. You know, he is a beacon in that in that sense. From a black business and black film industry perspective, he's an absolute G. But yeah, creatively, his films, is there's a level of degradation there that is just. That can be avoided easily. It really can be avoided. Just include other people in the creative process. You know, it's fine. It's fine doing stuff on your own from the start. I completely understand that. It's why I do what's good. It's why I do a podcast network. It's why I write on my own most of the time. You know, it makes sense. You know, when you're starting out, but when you get to a certain place, that especially Tyler Perry's in, what's the, what's the excuse at that point? You know, it may be his creative process, but honestly. The product suffering, and you know, he's obviously going to see it as like a money thing. Go well, I'm getting paid from it, but let's be real. Let's be real. Who has seen every Tyler Perry film? I highly doubt a lot of you have, especially for the people that hate him. I I feel like people like the idea of Tyler Perry, not the films of Tyler Perry. for the last topic of the episode we're going to sport and uh, I just wanted to talk about Zion Williams uh, the NBA story for you because uh, he's making his debut as I record uh, in of in about I don't know eight hours I don't know I, f- I forget um, in terms of how time zones work I can't do the math on that right quick but um, he's, do- he's, he's tonight it's tonight as I record he's uh, making his uh, NBA debut finally and uh, he's obviously missed uh, 40 I think like 40 something games uh, with the knee injury but finally he's coming through Half the season uh, already passed, but he's finally getting there, and uh, people are excited. People are excited. So uh, I just wanted to give a little, uh, give a little shout out, and uh, just um, just to fuel my my personal excitement over a Zion Williamson coming through, and uh, just do this. Uh, I saw this just this little uh, article here. Um, this is via uh, Gabriel Baumgartner uh, uh, of the Guardian. And uh, it's called uh, Zion Williamson, a generational talent and poet, prepares to make his NBA debut. So uh, it's just a, just, just, it's just a little, um, it's just a little understand, like a little, uh, what's the word, outline for you, just to, just for you guys to understand why NBA fans are excited about this. So uh, let's get into it. So it starts off why the excitement. Uh, the 19-year-old rookie is considered by many to be the best professional basketball player prospect, basketball prospect since LeBron James, number one overall pick, is listed at six foot six, two hundred eighty-four pounds. And uh, with a six six foot ten inch wingspan and forty five inch vertical leap, nearly two thirds higher than the average vertical player for an NBA vertical for an NBA player, Williamson's monstrous dunks became viral while he was still in high school and helped transform him into one of the most touted college prospects of all time. After enrolling at Duke for one season, averaged twenty two point six points, eight point nine rebounds, and one point eight blocks a game, throwing down more huge dunks and was con- the consensus top player in last last year's draft class. Why is he drawing comparisons to LeBron James, you ask? Comparing to anyone to James, the greatest player of his era, is unfair, but the chatter about Williamson's generational athleticism is legitimate. He overwhelmed opponents in college by manoeuvring his 280-pound frame uh, to box out defenders and leaping over them at the rim for contested balls. His burst makes him unstoppable in fast-break settings. If he finds an open space, he's a safe bet to get close to the rim for a high percentage shot. 
The focus over his physical abilities may overshadow his technical skills though. William's deft footwork makes him dangerous on spin moves and hook shots near the rim. While he's undersized uh, for an interior forward or set forward or centre, oppo- opposing forwards and centres uh, will struggle to block out or overpower a strong player with elite body control. As with any rookie, Williamson is raw, but his explosive- explosiveness and fluidity make him more advanced than the standard pure athlete, quote-unquote. Um, just a just a note here. I don't think um uh I don't think Baumgartner actually talks about this, but the fact that he's two hundred and eighty pounds is something worth thinking about. Um, because I think via well the last time last time I checked, um, or last time people talked about it, he was the second pl- heaviest player in the NBA, and the the first heaviest player is like seven foot four. So, yeah, and he's uh, six foot eight. So yeah, he's a heavy boy. He's a big boy, um, and that's and that's partly why people think he hasn't had a knee injury because he obviously has all that weight. And even though he has a supreme level of body control, you know that weight's gonna that weight's gonna go somewhere when you land. You know, if you don't land properly one day, it can happen. It can happen. Trust, trust. It happens. It happens. It actually happened the other day. Well, not in not knee wise, but um, some. Uh, I think uh, Dwight Powell uh, tore his, uh, tore his uh, ruptured his Achilles, and you saw in the video, you saw his calf like whip, like uh, uh, what's the word, ripple, like you saw the snap, like you saw the, you saw his muscle just go twang. It's just, ugh. it's disgusting, and uh, you know that can, that stuff can happen to any player, and if you're as heavy as Zion Williamson, and you're as explosive as explosive as Zion Williamson, that's a problem. That can be a problem. But anyway, he will succeed if. He harnesses his physical gifts into dominance on both sides of the floor. Williamson is ready to be one of the league's most explosive players, but he'll single-handedly freeze opposing defences if he can reliably hit outside jump shots and improve his passing. Even in a league that features high flyers like Giannis Antetokounmpo, Williamson should be one of the game's best finishers when he finds open routes to the basket. Defensively, he's physically equipped to lock down some of the league's most versatile defenders, given the praise he's earned for his effort and attention to detail from former Several former uh, teammates and coaches, it's fair to assume that he can be one of the league's best defenders within the first few seasons. He won't fulfill the hype if he struggles with shooting. Some critics focus on his lack of shooting range as his biggest hindrance, but he hit long, uh, big long range shots at Duke and compiled a diverse and efficient shot chart in his lone college collegiate season. His progress will hopefully mirror players such as Draymond Green and Blake Griffin. Uh, both of whom were unreliable shooters when they entered the league and have emerged as legit- legitimate perimeter threats. Eh, Draymond Green a bit less so. I think Gian- uh, Giannis is a great comparison, actually, um, in terms of you know both of them being physical freaks, for <laughs> for lack of a better phrase. And uh, Giannis, obviously, already has one MVP and, uh, and has now just gotten a three-point shot. Just gotten a three-point shot. And he's already been MVP. He was MVP last year. So, you know... It's, it's the same with um, everybody in the league these days, especially even if you're a big man. Um, if you can't shoot or if you haven't got the agility, um, if you haven't got one of those things, if you if you ain't got two of those things, you're not going to exist in the NBA, let's be real. But um, if you don't have one of those things, you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle in the NBA um, of this day, of this, you know, of today. So um, if he if he doesn't have one, if he doesn't have a jump shot by in a few years, by the time his contract uh, comes through, and he gets an actual contract, uh, not on his rookie contract, then um, I don't know. 
Don't know. Uh, two more. Uh, what is what are reasonable expectations for veteran NBA fans? Williamson resembles a modern version of Hall of Fame forward Charles Barkley. Fucking Barkley. Um, and relentless physical presence with excellent finishing and rebounding skills. But the best comparison may be a way more athletic Draymond Green. Somebody who can defend any player on the floor, plays intelligently in the interior, and has the motor to exhaust his opponents. Williamson doesn't have Green's perimeter savvy or passing skills, uh, but he may do after a few years' experience. This, experience, uh, this year, look for Williamson's style to resemble those of Knicks forward Julius Randle, a skilled forward of uh, a skilled forward capable of scoring from most spots on the floor with explosiveness to debate defenders and open space for his teammates. Uh, whatever Williamson ends up producing over the second half of the season, uh, second half of the season, there will be plenty of curious viewers watching the Pelicans. And if the basketball doesn't work out, he's a very talented poet. I began making making suggestions. Then all he did was write poems. And the deeper we got into the year, the more complicated and sophisticated they become. One of his high school teachers, Bill Pell, told ESPN last year. They were remarkable. Okay, well, turns out Zion's got bars as well. There you go. <laughs> so maybe you'll have a rap career. <laughs> maybe you'll have a rap career in a couple of years. You never know. Um, they have a lot of free time on their hands in the summer. But yeah, uh, can't wait for Zion's uh, debut. Um, I'm actually more fascinated to see what he's going to do defensively. I I w- I would love it if he became a real defensive beast, like a you know a genuine defensive player of the year contender. I know he's going to have offensive stuff, and everyone's going to look at those highlight wires. But I really want to see what he can do defensively. I want to see him lock down like the best players. I want to see him lock down LeBron. I want to see him slap a block on LeBron. And I love LeBron, just to say. But I want to see. I just want to see him slap the shit out of the ball. Out of the slap the air out of the ball, of just like LeBron trying to do a layup or Kawhi trying to do a layup or Steph Curry trying to do a jump shot, just knock that shit out of it, get that shit out of it. I'd just love to see that. I would love to see his defensive prowess um, grow over the years. But anyway, ladies and gentlemen, that's been what's good. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I thoroughly enjoyed this one, obviously because I've been able to shout. <laughs> but... <laughs> But uh, that won't happen on the regular. Trust me, this is outlier. This is a blip, not a trend. Um, this is not radio days. But anyway, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen from the Fifth End Podcast Network, I have a Charlie Taylor, and this has been what's good. Intro music is Too Much by Vanilla. Interlude music is Vista by Paul Dor. You can find both of their music via Bandcamp links in the description below. Thanks to Gerald Records. Feel the ability to use these songs. You can also find Gerald Records uh, Bandcamp link in the description below. <sighs> and that is it. Have a great week. I shall always try and do the same. But until the next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen.